Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here with my guest, Joe Perello. Today's topic, lessons learned as the first ever, the first ever CMO of New York City <laughs> under Michael Bloomberg. Joe started his career in credit cards at uh, MBNA, where he launched the NFL Visa card. He was also the VP of marketing for the New York Yankees, worked on David Bowie's business, and then became New York City's first ever CMO in 2003. He's gone on to found a digital ad agency and recently a creator marketing technology platform called Props, P-R-O-P-S, where he serves as the CEO. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Mike. Great to see you. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. First question. Let's focus on that New York job, which I think is going to be super interesting to everybody. The first ever CMO, obviously a political situation, no structure, a clean slate. Tell us how this job even came about and how you approached it. And, and for our listeners, full disclosure, Joe and I met at the inaugural Marketing 50 a long, long time ago, and we've kept in touch since. And if you're looking for New York recommendations, Joe would be one of your best bets. So, yes. Joe, let's talk about how this job got going. Yeah, I um, again, thank you, Mike, for having me. So I was working for the Yankees for uh, three, four years and had a great run. And I really never lost the entrepreneurial dream that I had that I never really executed on at that point. I worked for a big bank. Then I worked for the Yankees, and I said, you know what, let me try my hand at this. Started with David Bowie <clears throat> and, and built the first online fan club. And the dream was to go public, right, and never work again and all that stuff. And then the <laughs> stock market tanked, and, and I was like, oh, I guess I got to keep working. And, and started my own sports marketing shop and started to get clients. And there was one client that I really, really, really wanted to get because I knew I could deliver for them. And it was Modell Sporting Goods, right? Regional sporting good um, retailer here in the city. And was berating Mitchell Modell. Just why aren't you hiring me? I'm going to deliver for you. Calling him. Call and one day I called him up and I said, look, I'm either going to work for you or I'm going to work for your competitor to the sports authority. So which one is it going to be? And he acquiesced and he hired me. And we started to do great work together. And a month into it, he calls me up and says, Joe, I got a great job for you. I was like, you just hired me. You know, are you trying to get rid of me that bad? Yeah. He said, no, Mike Bloomberg is creating the first chief marketing officer of the city of New York. He called me up. He asked me who it should be. And I told him it should be you. I didn't ask. I just told him. So you need to go and meet their team because you're going to be the next CMO as long as you don't screw it up. 
<laughs> well, out of the blue, so, this thing just comes over yeah. the transom. It just comes over the transom. It's like, yes. yeah, like all CMO jobs. And, hey, go, go on, come <laughs> on, be the CMO of, of New York City. So so yeah. you, you obviously go meet. And then what happens? I So I meet with Dan Doctoroff, who was a deputy mayor at the time. If you know Dan, Dan came up with the idea to bring the Olympics to New York City. Um, met with him. Uh, kicked, we had a great conversation. You know, I think he really liked all the work that I had done at the Yankees. There was a lot of skills that I brought to the table. Um, and also, I was available. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say I was available. I mean, I had to sort of like cut down my fur, but this was so interesting. We're going to go with available. We're going to go, yeah, with, we're available. Gonna <laughs> go with available. So it was so interesting to me because after 9-11 happened, Right. We were all I saw. I watched it. Right. So many stories like me. I had my office on Seventh Avenue. And I saw the whole thing from the roof. Like it affected me to my core. Like that's not a new story. And in the aftermath, I'm a marketing guy. Like what what can I do? I, I you know, I don't have a ferry system. I can't help the you know, I can't help the guys down there. I can't dig like I felt so helpless. And then I met Dan, Dr. Roth. And he had this vision, right, to meet, remake New York City, and the Olympics were part of it. And marketing was a central role. And I was like, oh, my God, I could actually add, maybe actually add value here as a marketing person. So there wasn't a lot of structure around it. They're like, look, we could be marketing New York City better. You know, we should be more coordinated. What do you think? And that so when, we are, when we are talking about job specs, and setting yeah. expectations. <laughs> this would be the, like, the cleanest sheet of paper possible, which yes. is we just it's like so, so you come in, that means you have to create everything, the mission for marketing, the connection, everything, the team, everything. How, how do you go about that? So it took me a few, maybe like a week or two to sort of figure it out. And it was actually after I after I met with Dan. And then I met, and then he said, okay, I want you to meet the mayor. I sat down with Mike Bloomberg. And then after that meeting, I came up with the idea to just treat it like a league, like a sports league. So sports leagues, you know, they have. Hey, I, I can't let this go. I, I, I want to okay. come back to this in a minute, but it takes you one week. You don't hire anybody. You just think this up and you say, no, no, no. I'm no. going to make this hire city. Anyone. I'm going to make this I wasn't city even like hired yet. Yeah. I wasn't even hired yet. Oh, what, what, how did you come up with this idea? We're going to make it like a sports league. Is that because of the Yankees thing or I had, I had experience with the NFL uh, doing the, uh, the credit card. So I really got to know that it was called NFL enterprises. Then. And I really understood, you know, I listened and understood all their businesses. They have, Obviously, television rights is a big part of it. Events, intellectual property, licensing, sponsorship, right? They have these core business drivers. And then at the Yankees, I learned it from the baseball side, right? So baseball centralizes all these rights together. They can, if they centralize it together and apply rules around the rights and the brand, then you can generate revenue and you can deliver value to brands by delivering that revenue so that delivering that value so i was like look new york city is a brand it's an amazing brand right it went through some rough times in the 70s like in the 80s right when when you know ford said drop dead but it is a brand that was created largely through 
film, television, theater, poetry, right? It wasn't created through commercial brand building. Mm -hmm. So you could say it's really more organic, right, of a brand. The idea of New York City, you know, arguably most of the people that, that, that consume media understand what New York City is. So it's a great brand. But what was missing? Number one is there was no intellectual property protecting that was protected. There was a parks logo. There was an FDNY logo. There was a police department logo. There was no central brand to govern the city as a whole. So there was no sort of central guidelines to create and protect a brand. That was step one. Step one is, okay, let's protect New York City. Let's create a logo that was identified still being used today and then create new brands around that, right? So that's the equivalent of the Giants, the Jets, the Yankees, right? They've all got intellectual property. It's all protected. And then they have deals with licensing to make money on that logo. We created that in New York City. We had Target as our our number one vendor. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. No, we had, we, so we even created a brand for sanitation. Yeah. And protected it. Um, And we had great attorneys at the city, core council, amazing people, guys who created Major League Soccer. Right, where the corporation council with the city of New York, so they understood all of this. But you create all these brands. But so you create all these brands. You still have to get people to pay for them. So, so like, so because this is this is a complete rethink of a city, really. And so, I mean, it's one thing to create the brands; it's another thing to get money for them, sponsorship rights. How did you do that? So the licensing was actually a small part of it. It was it got a lot of attention because everyone was like, oh, they're gonna make they're finally gonna make money on the NYPD stuff. So we did that. Yeah. Then we also created a series of principles around how we engage with corporate sponsors. And in the past, like every other city, right? If the city wants to engage with a brand or corporation, they're essentially asking for a handout, right? They're like, hey we need this thing solved in the city and we, the taxpayers can't afford it. And we need you to donate money to restore the monuments, right. Or do all the different things. So number one is we were like, look, we're not just going to ask for a handout. We're going to deliver you value in the same way that a league delivers you value. And the way the league delivers a value to a sponsor is two things. They, they're associated with football, which is amazing. And you can reach people. Right. Without without reaching people, it's a handout. Yeah. With reaching people, it becomes a major part of your marketing plan. And that is what our goal was. We want a a partnership with New York City to be a major part of your marketing plan. So what do we have to deliver? We don't have television. We don't have games like we don't have TV. We have the Super Bowl of outdoor media. Right. 3,500 bus stop shelters, uh, 8,000 cabs, okay, 11,000 phone kiosks, right, all in New York City, all sort of being tripped over and not leveraged, right, by the city itself. So to sum it all up, we put all that together. We got 20% of that for the city, and we carved it up and delivered it to our corporate partners according to the solution that they solve. So give me a good, give me a good example. Like, like you mentioned sanitation, uh, you mentioned that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well the uh, first yeah, big one yeah. we did, the first really big one we did was with Snapple. Okay. Snapple was 
uh, at the time, still an independent brand. Yeah. I think. Yeah, pretty much still an independent brand. Yeah, before they got bought. Yeah. Before they got bought. <laughs> Born in Brooklyn, okay, grown in New York, right? And 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 a great brand and doing great at the time. So we we decided we're going to take soda out of the schools. They were selling soda in the schools. Like it's unheard of, but they were going to, we said, we're going to take the soda out. We're going to put in water and uh, apple juice, Snapples in the apple juice business. We're going to do that. We centralized all that together, just like you would in a stadium, right? Just like you do a deal in the stadium for Coke or Pepsi, did the same thing, sold it to Snapple for $166 million. Holy okay, shit. now Snapple, yes. <laughs> Snapple had the obligation, just like Visa does at the NFL, to promote New York. Yeah. Right? So we took that same idea. Okay, look, you got to pay us cash, and you've got to make sure that you promote New York City through your own efforts. You want to promote the association. We use the cash, some of the cash, to create the middle school sports program in the city, which was suffering, as you can imagine. Middle school sports. Right. It's like middle school is just everyone ignores middle school because it's a disaster. (laughs) Middle school sports, real big problem in the city. So we used the money from Snapple, created the middle school sports program, and we delivered Snapple real value. Right. So they got all these billboards all around the city. Didn't cost, uh, it did cost them anything, but we packaged it into our deal just like Major League Baseball, just like NFL, just like you would. We (laughs) followed the same playbook. And the brands were like, I can't believe that this is available to me. Like, how, how do you do this? Now, there are downsides to this too, Mike. One is there are losers, right? Because you're doing this very publicly. Very right? You're publicly. doing this public RFP. In the most so, political possible environment <laughs> yes, there is. Yes. So, so Snapple wins the, and you got to do it with an RFP, right? You can't, you, you're not, I'm not, it wasn't like I was taking phone calls and like wheeling and dealing here. You got to do it in the RFP method. And so Snapple comes in, uh, Coke didn't pitch, Pepsi did, uh, and they lost. This is all public, right? So I'm not really disclosing anything. They lost and they were embarrassed because they're in Armonk, New York. They consider themselves a New Yorker, but yeah. we're like, that's not New York. That's Westchester. We're talking about New York here. Spoken like a true New York. Let's be really person. clear. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happens is there's loot your losers and the losers are angry and it's not like they're like oh, okay we'll, we'll we'll talk to you next time you know they funded they funded the mayor's opponent's mayoral campaign wow who was the control the the controller bill thompson right well known actually he's a really good guy uh we've met on a few occasions but pepsi was like we're gonna fund this campaign because you know, these guys kicked us out of the out of the school. So that was a new experience for me is, you know, instead of just calling the CEO, like, hey, uh, listen, you didn't win this time. We're going to do another category. You know, I read about it That's <laughs> right. post the next day. And they're like, who is this guy? You know, get him out of here. He's <laughs> so so yeah, how do you <laughs> so you're selling these sponsorships for but is boatloads of money. You're pouring it back into the city. How do you measure success? And then how do you, over time, like, so you're, you got this political environment. I'm sure a bunch of people are not always happy with what you're doing. In addition to the people that don't win the sponsorships in the administration, how do you set up the measures 
how do you track this? How do you manage all the politics around that? Yeah, well, that's a lot of questions there. So let me, let me talk about measurement. Yes, it's a lot. <laughs> I, 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 I'm giving you a lot to work with, Joe. Uh, <laughs> measurement first is, A, Bloomberg, right? Billionaire businessman, number one, we're cash flow positive, right? So we are a you know, revenue generator for the city. So the, the broader mission behind NYC marketing is let's generate revenue in new ways, right? Let's be clever and use the assets that are available to us to help the city and generate revenue so we can funnel that back into getting 50 million people to come to New York City, right? So the whole mission was to get more tourists there and, and come up with a new way to do it. So number one was cash. Number two was how many agencies did we actually impact, right? So Snapple helped the Department of Education. The History Channel helped the Parks Department and Landmark Preservation, right? We had Chevy and Crisco. They helped the New York City big events bring in the Country Music Awards. And actually, at the time, the Republican National Convention. So we measured how much money, media, and in-kind we delivered to every agency. We ended up impacting 35 different agencies, right, over the, the first three years in our business. Then we measured media. How much media did our partners spend promoting New York City outside of New York? You know, you always see these commercials, the CVB commercials of like the governor talking about, and they're pitching it to New Yorkers. They're like, <laughs> we're already here. Yeah, I love New York. You need to because be- I live there. So <laughs> we're yeah. already here. We need, you know, you need to be spending that in, in Dusseldorf and Madrid, you know, and Ireland and Kansas City and not in New York City. So all the deals that we put together, all of our partners had to spend money outside of New York City to get people to come in. So those are essentially the three big ways that we measured our impact. Cash, how many agencies did we affect positively? Yeah, I mean, and then how much how much did people talk about us outside of New York? And then there must have been some people that weren't happy with this. It's a political environment or <laughs> half, some, some, half, half the people. Were half happy. the people. How do you manage that? Because one of the things about CMO Confidential is, is talking about managing the politics and the you know, yeah. the, the, you know, your, your most active consumers are usually in your company. In this right. case, your most active consumers are not only in the administration or in the at wannabe administration, they're also sitting there getting a good deal or not if they're one of the entities. How do you manage all the politics around that? Any tips for our listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this applies to, you know, the, the private sector too. Number one is it's all manageable if you report to people who get it, who understand it's a, it's not, you know, it's not a nice path upwards. You know, there are bumps <laughs> along the way and you hit roadblocks and you get stymied and you got to come back. And Mike Bloomberg and Dan Doctor, they were both, you know, already hugely successful in life and in business. And, you know, when Pepsi came after our group and 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 me personally, yeah. you know, they were like, don't worry about it, Joe. You know, look, it happens. We got your back. Like they really gave me a lot of support. And I was like, well, I don't have a billion dollars in the bank. <laughs> I still need a job. after this. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it feels nice. But <laughs> what else is there? Anyway, you got to have you got to have um, 
if you report to a great CEO, and I'll, I'll, I'll say Mike and, and Dan were the CEOs, and they have your back, it's imminently more easy to manage yeah. this, especially in a place where, I mean, Mike, the controller of the city of New York is essentially like the CFO. Right. And, and they're elected. So it's like the CFO wants the CEO's job and he's going to single out this sort of newfangled marketing guy to see if he can make a name for himself, you know, and get elected. So you have, you had, you had to be able to just say, okay, this is, this is not reality, right? This is, this is all story going to pass. People are going to say stuff. It's not that big of a deal. And, and your if your bosses have you have your back, you can get through it all. So right. I'm going to shorthand this and say what you're saying is as long as in a situation like this, which is obviously about as political as you're going to get, if your boss has your back, it's go forward and recognize that nearly 50 percent of the people are going to be pissed off 50 all the time and yeah. just have to do what you think is right and try and be consistent and principled. Is that fair? OK, what you said, always do what you think is right, is absolutely 100 percent the way to do it. And so if you're entering into a job as as high profile as a chief marketing officer, there really only is one consideration to make. That's assuming you like the product and you care about the category, you like all that. Who am I working for? That's the only thing to consider because no matter what, you're gonna have ups and downs in every single job, right? And there's gonna be good quarters, there's gonna be bad quarters, you're going to be the hero. You're going to be the goat. And I mean the goat in the bad way. Yes. If you're, if, if you're, yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you're, if you have a great relationship with the CEO or the COO or the CFO or all three of them, and they understand marketing and that marketing is this imperfect science, no matter what anyone says to you, and they trust you and you trust each other, then you will have a success. I think you'll have a successful endeavor. So let's take this and, and you know, if, if you're a first time CMO and you're either interviewing or just starting the job, you've just laid out the principles and obviously you want someone who's got your back and, and shares your vision. What else would you put in people's heads to think about as they, they you know, that first time CMO job is sometimes not the easiest for very many people. What tips would you give them going forward? Like how That's do a they great question. Out, how do they set <clears throat> expectations? What do they do? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, you go into a job and you want to like you want to put a win in the win column, right? Right out of the gate. Wow, we got yeah. this person, we got this girl, we got this guy. You know, yeah. they're already it's like there's a real big like desire to be like, hey, you guys made a good decision. Right. right? And you and you want to build trust. I would refrain from sort of doing that too fast and assess your whole situation first. And the most, second most important thing, right? So who am I reporting to? That's number one. Second is who can I rely on in my organization to tell me the truth? That is the, not their skill. Who can tell me the truth? Because in any, any marketing enterprise, there's always things that are working and there's always the things that aren't. And it's, it's it's really difficult to tell the difference between those two and impossible if no one's really telling you the truth. I, I totally agree get, with this. And a lot of people don't want to tell you the truth. And a lot of people don't want to admit it's not working. 
And yeah. if if you can't get the truth somehow, a bunch of stuff that's not working will emerge as a giant squid and grab you and drag you underwater. <laughs> um, you need to yes. know where that thing is before it, it yes. breaches the surface. So yes. I, I think that is is super good advice. Hey, I, uh, let me flip that flip over a little bit. So you found a tech platform, not an agency. You founded agencies before you. You've now founded a tech platform. Why? What? What does that even mean? The props tech platform, and then what's the white space you see here that isn't covered by by anything else? Yeah. <laughs> so I started an advertising agency um, after the city. I had two partners, and I loved it. It was exciting. This was probably 2009, 9-ish. Yeah. So the agency still had viability in my mind. And, and, and I shouldn't say that. Agencies have viability. But we were a small agency, right? Difficult to really make it as a small agency. And we did great. We had Nike. We had Lowe's Hotels. We had Michelle Obama as a client. We had HP. We did great. <clears throat> we had great clients, great client relationships. And the results of our clients were great. Like Lowe's had their best year ever. Um, I'm not saying we made a dent in Nike's business, but we had great years. We could not have done a better job, Mike. Won awards. They could measure the results. And we we started losing clients to tech platforms. <clears throat> we lost Lowe's Hotels to, I think, Merkel. Yeah. Not another agency. Yeah. Not some fancy schmancy, you know, Droga 5. We, we lost it to Merkel. And it was that point when I said, this is not going to work. Yeah. We, we, I can't do any better than I did, right? Creative-wise, relationship-wise, results-wise. So this is not going to work. I sold my stake to my partners, and I was on the hunt for a, a new way to market. Literally, I said, there has to be another way to market. And I knew social media was important. I knew digital media was important. I sort of saw the effects of influencer marketing and, and coming in and essentially started props. And props is a, the shortest way to explain it is it's storytelling as a service platform. Now, I came journalism. So I majored in journalism in college. And I always found that journalism was a horrible way to make money. <laughs> yeah, horrible. But if you could figure out how to sort of merge the credibility of journalism with the commercial need of advertising, then you could create something that could transform marketing. And really, that's what Props does, is we're finding credible content creators, not influencers, right? These are real people who have real expertise in either dentistry or nutrition or road trips or camping or fly fishing or knitting, like whatever sort of expertise you need. Or in, Number this, two case, is, in this case, you're going to put this on props. Yes, and you're going to talk or CMO. About, you're right. going to talk about CMOing exactly. and, and, and right. how so that we, works. We find, so we find these, we have an A&R team, just like a record label, right? We stole this from a record label idea. We have this A&R team and they're out there curating all these Incredible. You could explain what that acronym stands for to everybody because you just threw it out there like I know A and R artists and repertoire. There we go. Yes, <laughs> okay. you just tossed that out there like, oh yeah, A and R T D. Oh, there I got it. Yeah, you got it, everybody. All right. Yeah. 
So yeah. yes, the A and R team. Come on, we all curating. You're curating like a label. <laughs> yes, we're curating like a label. <laughs> and all of these folks, as I like to say, your mom thinks these people are talented, right? That's the kind of talent they have. They're not sort of, they're not dilettantes. And I'm not knocking the influencer game because it's it's growing. It's really important. These people are different. So number two is this is apparently a massive shift in the businesses. We publish all their content on our client's website directly. Who have heard of that? It's on there. It's on their website. So they become the publisher. And then, as I described to you, we have this new way to sort of promote the content through the creator. And we use paid media to do that. And the combination of those three things essentially enables people to unlock audiences who ignore ads. Got it. And that has been the value of our platform for mostly direct-to-consumer brands, right? They're they're spending money in search. People are putting in, I need need a tow truck, and they're going to get it. Otherwise, in order to unlock those audiences, you've got to present them with a story. You're not going to get them to your site unless you present them with a compelling story. And then you can advertise, you know, to your heart's desire to them. And then they will convert. But unless you present them with a story made by someone who's credible, it's going to be very difficult to succeed um, in the digital landscape. That's what we're doing. Thank you for that. We're almost to the end of the show. So I'm going to give you one one shot here. You can tell a funny or give people practical advice that we haven't talked about so far or tell us a funny story, anything you want before before we close out the show. Oh, the, the first advice... I've been talking about this a lot is I really have a, I feel bad for the new generation that's coming into the workforce because they have a choice. Oh, if they're going to go to the office or not. And I, I really feel like not going to the office is doing them a big disservice is the value in, in developing your career is to be around, not just your peers, which is helpful, What about other people like Mike Linton, who knows more about marketing than most of us are going to forget? He he knows so much more. Like if you can be next Mike, right, for six months. I love having you on the show, by the way. (laughs) I mean, I'm being serious. Like if you could just overhear Mike Linton's conversations for six months, that's going to be worth four years of school. And I say the same thing. I mean, you know, look. I'm no Mike Linton. I've been around the block a few times. I know what's happening. Like you should want to be in the same office as, as me and other people that are around me so that you can learn. It's very simple. And, and you will also run into the IT folks or the CFO or anybody else. And they <laughs> and you can have coffee with them and they will, you can build a relationship with them. I, I yeah. agree with this. So that's a Imagine is that. there is there a funny story that goes with this too? Is there any funny stories or or is there anything? Well, I'll tell you. I'll there? tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story about. Um, let me see. Let me tell you a funny story about. So you have to edit this because I'm, I'm coming up with. A, I'm coming you up don't with know Mike. about that, no, Joe. We'll no, Mike. See. I'm coming up with all these stories. And I can't talk about any of them. So <laughs> I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed so what we can't. What we will do. What, we're going to save this. We're going to save this for a second show. It's going to okay. be Joe's funny stories. Yes. Um, the uh, <laughs> I, I, I think the practical advice is is really important for for people that if you want to be a, a a big person in business, 
it's important to build the relationships and the other connections as much as you can. And the learning is is multidimensional. So I, I think that's a super good lesson. And I, Joe, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And thanks to everybody for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for more of our shows on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, and YouTube, which include what venture capital really thinks about marketing. Hint, a lot of times it doesn't. Is the CMO job headed for extinction? Why is marketing innovation so freaking hard? And a top executive recruiter talks about the CMO space. Thank you, Joe. And all of you marketers, be safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off for CMO Confidential. This episode of CMO Confidential is produced and sponsored by Adcom, one of the premier integrated marketing and advertising agencies. Adcom works with mid-market companies to create measurable returns. With 30-plus years' experience, Adcom partners to lead innovative strategy, creative, media, and analytics for growth-oriented brands that want to differentiate themselves in a crowded field. Working in B2B, B2C, healthcare, financial services, transportation, building products, and consumer goods, Adcom leverages unique internal and external insights to create dynamic and lasting brands ready to maximize their market position. For more information, visit us at engageadcom.com. Are you tired of the same old productivity hacks? Have you read the top 20 books on effectiveness and yet your workdays and email inbox still causing anxiety, burnout, and even depression? Ready to learn the latest in brain-based modalities, techniques, and technologies to optimize your success and well-being? Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we'll illuminate your path to spacious productivity and balanced thriving. Each week, we dive into deeply insightful and immediately impactful methods to help you become highly effective while promoting health, profitability, and well-being. Say goodbye to the trance of busyness and hello to your highest potential. It's time to discover a new way of accelerating your mission, growth, and purpose. Join us on the Focus to Evolve podcast and get ready to live your most joyful, productive, and fulfilling life. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain.